Welcome to the show. Paul George here in studio with Adam Conk. Adam, how you Paul, doing? Paul, great, man. How are you? I'm great. I actually have a special guest in the studio. I'm super excited about. A special guest? Yeah, very special. <laughs> He's special. My nephew uh, from Georgia is in town for the holidays. Well, welcome, nephew from Georgia. Yeah, he goes to Georgia Tech, and he's in town, so he's hanging out in the studio, which is kind of cool. And it's kind of cool being around smart people. He goes to Georgia Tech. You ever around smart people that are smarter than you? We were oh, on our way over here, often. and he was talking about how he has a class on building bridges. And that's not like bringing people together, like literally building bridges. Yeah, like I'm, I guess I'm like more into spiritually building bridges. <laughs> <laughs> He literally has a class on like the engineering of like building bridges and whatnot. I bet you it's a great analogy. And then he he said he said this out loud came out as well. He goes, "I would never drive over a bridge that I built." He said that about himself, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is awesome. Self knowledge is a great thing. Yeah. So anyway, it's always good being around smart people because then then you learn things. Yes. That you didn't know. Yes. Yeah. So last week I was in Houston. Uh, given a series of talks. Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. And so I spoke at a fundraising banquet for Door Ministries. So they had this big banquet, beautiful, awesome, fun. And and so I gave a talk, and then, you know, there's, you know, drinks and um, food and, you know, bidding on auction items. Really great. They had a live band. So I'm walking around the room meeting people, and I saw an old friend of mine, and, you know, she's married with kids. And so I said, I want to meet your husband. So I meet her husband, and I said, well, so you know, what do you do? And he says, well, I work for NASA. Well, as soon as he says that, you know, I'm thinking like, this is going to be an interesting conversation. One that I probably don't belong in. Right. And so I said, so what do you do for NASA? Right. Which is like, I can't wait for this response, but this is literally what he said. He goes, well, right now, like nonchalant, like Mm -hmm. not like I'm a big deal. Not like, Hey, I'm super smart or I have a cooler job than you. Just very like nonchalant. He's like, well, right now I'm building a spaceship to go beyond the moon. (laughs) That's really what he said. Now, have you ever been in a conversation where you just felt so small? Yeah, I've I've never heard that one before in in a conversation. Yeah. And you know the saying of like, oh, you're so smart, you must be a rocket scientist. I was literally talking to a rocket scientist. Well, right now we're just trying to get past the moon, so I'm... Chipping at it every day, you know. Yeah. Getting closer. Yeah. And he's like, well, what do you do? I, I give talks. I have a podcast. <laughs> I build spiritual bridges. <laughs> oh, that's nice. They're, I spiritually bridge people together. So tell me about the moon. You know, like, so he's like, yeah, we're building this thing. And I felt like I had inside information. Yes. You know? Yes. Which is kind of cool. In a sense of, it was almost like feeling like what the disciples were like. Like there was like, there had to be inside information that was going on when you hung around Jesus. And then there was like other information that you knew about when you were kind of on the outer circles. And then sort of, you know, when he came into town and you kind of knew about Jesus. But I often wondered like what it was like to actual, actually know the guy, like be around the guy who's building the spaceship to go beyond the moon. I felt like I had inside access. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty neat. I mean, it's probably a lot like Jesus, too, where even though they had the inside access, they didn't know what they were hearing. For example, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be crucified, and then on the third day raised, and they're right. like, what did that mean? So it's kind of like you with this guy. He's like, yeah, we're going to be building this uh, space apparatus thingy, and and you're like, oh, I feel like I know something, but I really don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have inside information that I don't know what to do about, and I don't know what it means. Yeah. But... You know, but it's cool to have. Yeah. So if you could have just this random, really cool job, that would oh goodness, what would it be? Because this is like I don't know how it gets any cooler. Now you might not be into space or science, and that might be your your thing. But like in his realm, it doesn't get any better or cooler mm-hmm. unless I guess you're the astronaut who takes the rocket to go beyond the moon. This will probably surprise you. My answer. Okay, bring it. I would like to be on the team to feed the world. Because this exists. Do you know this? World hunger. There's a people saying, look, we can figure this out. Yep. Let's get this done. There's actually a website that you can go to. Maybe I'll find it in the next segment. It actually tallies how many people are starving and actually dying 
Oh, my word. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking, especially today. So you would want to be on, like, this creative doer team that kind of comes up with the concept to make sure that nobody... Yeah. Because the thing is, if it's actually possible, which a lot of smart people believe it is, well, shoot, let's get this done. I actually don't even think it's real complicated. Actually, if everyone who has money who could buy food, who bought extra food and gave it to people who didn't have food, like, if the whole world did that, there would be no one who would starve. Well, and apparently a lot of the problem is oppressive governments more than it's we don't have access to food. or You know, like the way some governments operate is so oppressive to the poor and to the agricultural side of their economy that there's plenty of food, but it just literally people are working on farms and starving to death. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, what would you do? Well, I don't think there's any answer that could be better than that because you just like won. You won the day, Adam. Oh, you won the day. Well, would you work for NASA with that guy? What could you bring to the team? Dude, I am so afraid of flying. I can't. I would go nuts in space, bro. Like, so I'll be the guy back home. <laughs> I would go nuts in space. Um, but I think like any cool job, um, I would say, um, you know, like something about a ship. Like I would love to be a captain of a ship. Like on a boat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like a f- like a freight runner mm-hmm. from New York to London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like a commentator for like Monday Night Football. You would enjoy that. That would be fun, but with with like no filter. Oh boy, that would even be better. Like the HBO version. The HBO version. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, as we were talking, like I wonder what it was like to be you know closely connected to, you know, to Christ. And a lot of times, like, you know, even today, because if you look at history, like when you study theology, like you got to take a lot of things into account, right? There's the historical part of understanding theology, and there's, you know, the application, and then there's, you know, really researching what the day and the time meant and what Jesus was saying, you know, and that's why it's so important when we look at the Christian life of really tracing things back to the beginning, like you can't just, you know, really just kind of open up scripture, self-interpret everything. Like it has to be interpreted through a lens to where you know that it really goes back to the mouth of who it came from, right? Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that our relationship with Christ is a human relationship. We literally have a relationship with God through the means of a human relationship, right? Right. And so like any other human relationship, my point of contact is always right now. So me and my wife, for example, if you would say, how's your relationship going with your wife? I would have to start with how it is right now, Mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, the right now includes within it every point of contact I've ever had with my wife, right? So my relationship, my human relationships are always now, but including everything that has ever happened. And so it is with the Lord, right? Our relationship with him is is right now, but it includes the relationship we've always had with him for 2,000 years in the church. And what he said on the uh, Sermon on the Mount and what he's telling me right now in prayer, there's no disconnect. Right. They're connected to each other. And he's not going to say something that contradicts himself, right? Exactly. And so I have to have an understanding of what the Lord has been saying to the church from the very beginning, or I won't understand what he's telling me right now. Right. And I think even a lot of times, like, we, yeah, we look at our relationship with Christ is very vertical sometimes, not so much horizontal in a sense of like tracing our relationship back with the Lord all the way in history, right? And Mm -hmm. and not only the time of Christ, but I think, you know, the Old Testament completes the New Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, the the two, you know, uh, complement each other. So to fully even understand in light of the New Testament, what God reveals in the New Testament through Christ is, is to understand the story of everything that happens in the Old Testament, all the way from creation, all the way through the prophets, all the way through the miracles and and the things that happen, the journey of the Israelites, everything is leading up to the apex of this Christ coming into the world to reveal uh, the new covenant. But you can't just understand the new covenant without fully comprehending the old covenant. So Literally, like if you were to trace back history, it goes back, you know, even way, way, way before Christ. That's one of the challenges of Christianity is to convince ourselves or be convinced that what God says to Abraham has something to do with me. Right. 
right? Yep. To not think of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses as these far-off people that have nothing to do with my life. But really what God spoke to them has relevance, immediate relevance on what he's speaking to me now. Right. And this is one of the challenges of Christianity because, and honestly, I think we're going to be held accountable for this because we live in an age where it's never been easier to study scripture. It's never been easier to study history. It's never been easier to have the context that a lot of, for example, uh, during the time of Christ, right? They spent their time studying the Old Testament, studying the scriptures day in, day out. A lot of people anyway, not everyone, of course. It's not like everyone was scripture scholars. But the thing is they spent so much time and effort to know the law, love the law, interpret the law. Yet we have the means to do that way more than they did. Right. And what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. It's humbling. Yeah, it is humbling. And here's what the greatest gift is for for us who are living in the new covenant now is that you know we can we can interpret the old testament and the old covenant through the lenses of the new. You know, so we read the story of Jonah, you know, mm-hmm. and and he gets swallowed in a whale, whale for 3 days. You could certainly you want to go at that in a literal um, mindset of interpretation. But if you really would interpret it in light of the New Testament, you understand that Jesus quotes and looks back on that story, and then you understand that Jesus would die and and be buried and three days later rise in a new life, right? Mm. And so all of a sudden you're connecting the the beauty of the Old Testament, which when they were trying to interpret that before they knew, understood the new, it, it kind of didn't make sense. Right. Now it begins to make sense. Well, and this is the wisdom that Jesus offers, which is so unique because it's kind of like being on a mountain, right? So let's say you and I are living our life on, in the valley and we're going from point A to point B and we see things from that perspective always, right? But then in Christ, okay, we go up the mountain a bit. We go up to the top of the mountain, literally, right? And then we look down on reality, and we can see things we never saw before and see a perspective we never saw. And that same valley we were just living in is now brand new to us. And this is the experience on the road to Emmaus, right? Right. He opened the scriptures to them. He started with the Old Testament. That's and true. he started pointing to everything that spoke about him. And these two men that had studied the scriptures their whole life were blown away, right? Their hearts were on fire, actually. Yep. And it's because when we look with Christ from the top down, when we look with Christ from the incarnation down, we see things for what they really are. Because everything points to Christ, not just in the scriptures, but in all creation, right? Like, what is the meaning of the sun and the stars and the moon? It's Christ. Christ is the meaning of everything. And if we can look at it with that wisdom, then there's this experience of God's wisdom in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Someone told me a long time ago, the answer to everything is the Paschal mystery. You know, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Like, that's the meaning of life. It's, it, it's connected everywhere. Uh, and speaking of, we're about to start a new season. Boom. A new year, actually. Happy New Year, Paul. With Christ coming to reveal. And so we're going to talk about that as Advent comes. This is the Paul George Show. Adam and Paul talking the art of living. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here talking Art of Living. Thanks for tuning in. Great to be with you. And and I have my nephew here in studio with us. What's your nephew's name, sir? His name is Dane Hey, Dane. We don't have the same last name. It's my sister's son. They live in Atlanta, Georgia, so they're in for the holidays. And we've been having a good time. Dane listens to the podcast, and uh, he's tall, handsome, single. Ladies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Email Paul if you want. Involved in Dane's his church, digit. you know. I mean, it's he's the total, he's the total thing. The total package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, speaking of family, um, you know, in last week's podcast and radio show, we we talked about like 
you know, dealing with our families and the holidays and all the mm-hmm. things that, that come up. And so Thanksgiving has passed. How did you survive? Pretty well, I think, actually. Yeah. yeah. It was a calm year for some reason. There wasn't much drama or nothing. It was just a pleasant day. Mostly outside because the weather was nice. And yeah. And then yeah. you ended up getting a headache, a migraine. Yeah. So if I'm in the sun for a long time and don't pay attention, it'll get me. You get dehydrated. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah, we had a good time. Great food. Always, you know, um, yeah, it was great. Yep. Had, um, you know, my sister and brother, their families, and we just hung out at our house and we survived the great adventure, you know, and now Christmas is right around the corner. Boom. And we talked about getting Christmas trees and y'all are changing a little tradition this year, right? Yeah. We got ours last weekend and um, we're going to light it on the Feast of St. Lucy on the 13th. Of December? Yes. Okay. Of course, we have a little baby coming um, any day now, little Elizabeth. So uh, all these plans are subject to change. Like any day? Yeah, like any moment. Like I might have to leave in a second, but right. who knows? Yeah. Well, if you get a call that uh, your wife is in labor, just say, look, I got to finish the show. <laughs> this is really important. <laughs> it's her get seventh a, kid. She could figure it out. Get an Uber. Get an Uber <laughs> to the uh, hospital. Right? Just tell me which one. By I'll ba- meet you there. By baby seven, does she even call you? Or does she just oh, show yeah. up back home with a baby and be like, hey, I got it? <laughs> no, thankfully, I've, I've been present at the beginning of every labor. That's great. For all seven of them. So That's good. Lovely. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're talking first segment. Um, you know, some of the stories in the Old Testament kind of strike me. Um, is there one that strikes you uh, in a way that, like, when you read in light of the new the New Testament, it like, it like comes alive, you mm. know, you know, to you. Um, is there one in particular? Well, if you ask me that today, I would say, uh, Moses, the whole story of Moses has always been striking to me just as Christ is the new Moses, right. you know? And so reading in light of Christ, what about you? Well, I think when I read Genesis mm. in light of the New Testament, right. And I think of the failure of Adam and Eve. Okay. Um, first man and sin entering into the world and then I begin to understand that Christ comes as the new Adam to undo what Adam did right in in perfection to say yes totally to God without sin right and then to understand that Mary his mother who gave birth to the Savior is a new Eve since her total yes to God to do God's will no matter what in a sense, un- undoes what what Eve couldn't do, and and then her new yes gives us all hope that that Christ said yes was totally obedient to God, and Mary's yes, and so now we have a new family, new parents in a sense to look towards, and two to say, uh, I'm set free. So all the way back to Genesis to the first cre- for the, to the new creation story in the New Testament, in a sense, the creation like like Jesus coming into the world blows my mind yeah, and gives me hope, which in particular is the season that we're in. We're, we're entering into Advent, uh, which literally means waiting and coming, the arrival of Christ coming. So the first Advent, if you read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, particularly the Synoptic Gospels where they have the birth story of Jesus, that is the first Advent. That is the, mm-hmm. the coming of Christ into the world. And so what we do every year is we not only acknowledge that, but we celebrate that in a season of Advent to say, this is so important that Jesus came into the world, that we're going to enter into the mystery of Advent every year again. And so we begin this season of Advent where we really enter in and reflect on the coming of Jesus into the world. Honestly, Advent is my favorite season. Now, let me clarify. I love Christmas and Easter. They're the bomb. You, right? Yeah. <laughs> and fishing season and hunting season. <laughs> but uh, as far as like getting fired up, you know, let's do this. I love Advent. I think it's because it, it's just how I live my whole year. For example, the coming of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. When I encountered suffering in the world, sorrow in the world, sin in the church, my mind goes to, Lord, when are you coming back? Yep. Right, like when are you going to put an end to this? Come back soon. <laughs> Come back soon. Yeah. And so it's kind of just 
my go-to position to the Lord is like, come back, you know? And so I, I just love being able to live in that for four weeks with the whole church that so we're, we're just waiting for Christ to come back. And we're celebrating his first coming, waiting on his second coming. And uh, anyway, I just get fired up. About yeah, it. that is something to get fired up. Uh, so Paul and Adam talking art of living. We're talking about this new season of Advent. For all those who are listening, here, here's the great thing is that Advent is the time where you can pump the brakes and start over. Yes. Like wherever your life is and whatever your year has been like and whatever things that you're going through and maybe you've been through, you know, a tough year and, and a lot of spiritual, you know, backpedaling and backsliding and your relationship with God has kind of fallen off or you need a new season of hope and something to look forward to. This is what Advent is. Advent is like you pump the brakes and say, I get to start over. And this is the beauty. Like Christ comes into the world to, to let us all know that, that we have, we have a do over. We, you know, like we have a chance to stop, repent and move forward, like all the time. And Advent is sort of this time that allows us to pump brakes and reevaluate where we are so we can move forward. And I think a yearly cycle that begins with the very person of Christ, who is Christ, is most appropriate. And really, Advent and Christmas should be a time where we evaluate our lives based on our relationship to Jesus Christ, specifically. Right. You know, I mean, there's so many aspects of the spiritual life, often it can get, not complicated, but we can, there's a lot to think about, right? How this virtue is going, how that vice is going, how that relationship is, how that relationship is, how I'm doing at work, how I'm doing at home, right? Right. But we start with just reminding ourselves, who is Jesus Christ? And we can't understand Jesus Christ without the, the thousands of years that prepared his birth, right? And the longing of the, of the people of the Old Testament, the longing of Adam and Eve for redemption, the longing of um, Moses and all these great heroes of the Old Testament, they longed for the coming of Christ. And if we don't get into that longing, then we don't know who it is before us in the manger, right? right. Who is this Jesus Christ? Right. And so, um, yeah, I think it's most appropriate that we just, we go back. It's not going back to the basis. It's going back to the, to the apex too. I mean, a lot of times we move on from who is Jesus Christ, like, oh, here's the answer, let's move on. But right. that's that's the question that drives everything in the church. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, we want to move, honestly, like, to the adult Jesus and then the Jesus who was crucified and rose, right, and and kind of accomplished it all. And I think the humility of Advent is that let's look at the very beginning, that God was loved us so much but so humble to send his son as an infant into the world uh, under the reign of terror, under the reign of night, uh, in a way that no one thought he ever would or could or should, right? Uh, there's still controversy about it. And Jesus came in this, this humble way to save the world. You know, as you were talking about Moses, you know, one of the things that gets me in the Old Testament is you read, if you would read the, the story of Moses and not understand the New Testament, you would just think, oh, it's a really kind of cool story. But if you understand that Moses was an infant that that was put placed in a basket and floated into a foreign land, right? And and the Egyptians found him and raised him in this foreign sinful land of, of the Egyptian economy and reign and Pharaoh. And Moses grew up and eventually found out his true identity that he was an Israelite and somehow, you know, ended up there, uh, you would begin to understand that that's the same way that Christ came into the world as an infant into a foreign land that was completely broken and destroyed and grew up, right? And and even like in, in a sense of like right after his birth, they evacuated into Egypt, right? To to undo and to, and to, to reclaim freedom in the land of Egypt, where Moses couldn't completely accomplish that because he wasn't the Savior. He was a prophet. He was holy, but he's not Jesus. And some pretty powerful things happen when we really reflect on the coming of Jesus and pause and just reflect that, like, let's not go further. Let's just think about the miracle of what happened. And I think that's why you get so excited about Advent. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because, get fired up. Because this is, the coming of Jesus is a fulfillment Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament comes true in Jesus. Yeah. 
But the thing is, we have to be looking for him. And the only way we're looking for him is with an, an awareness of our own sinfulness, of our own need for him. Because if, if we don't need a savior, then we're not impressed when he shows up, right? But if we see ourselves as someone who's in desperate need of salvation, in desperate need of someone to save us from this world of darkness and sin and tyranny and oppression and brokenness, then we have no need of Jesus. And what's great is our society still celebrates Christmas every year. As, as pagan as we've gotten or as far from God as we've become, we still celebrate something we call Christmas right. every year. And so it's a great opportunity to remind ourselves and others and our family and our kids, guys, this is a broken world through sin. Adam and Eve wrecked this world. And it's not going to become better by any other means than a Savior, a Savior, and He's coming. That's the good news. And this longing, if it's not in us, we can't really live a full Christian life. Because right. Christianity is not anything other than being saved by Jesus Christ. No, absolutely. <laughs> right? And it's me being saved by right. Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And here's the thing is that, you know, if, to understand like like how to really help people in the world, I think you nailed it, is unless someone understands that they need a savior, then like, why do I need God? And I think that's the problem, like, even in Christianity today and, you know, in churches is, you know, we're filled in a culture of people who are like, I don't need anything. I don't need God. I, I, and, and until, like, major life moments, a death, a divorce, a disease, you know, uh, a marriage, whatever, major these major moments where you're like, oh, maybe I should think about, like, you know, God, right? Mm. And so, like, we're, we're preaching to a world that, like, you almost have to, like, back up the way that you translate the gospel and, and preach it out there to understand that, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, said that the greatest poverty in our world today is spiritual poverty. You know, as you were talking about feeding the world, which I think is probably one of the coolest things you could ever accomplish, is that the even greater than the physical poverty in the world is the fact that spiritual poverty is even greater. And spiritual poverty is this. I don't... When you're physically hungry, you know you're hungry. Mm -hmm. here's the hard thing about spiritual poverty is that people who are spiritually poor don't know it. Like they don't even know that they're spiritually poor. They don't know what they're not, they're not having, they don't know what they're missing. Right. Right. And so spiritual poverty is, it's rampant in our culture and people don't even know that they're starving. So it's almost like you have to convince people in, in a loving way that you need something greater than yourself or what the world can offer. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, what I think is the evangelization potential of Advent. So first and foremost, us and our families, we have to be discussing over these next four weeks the difference that Jesus Christ makes in our life. We have four weeks set aside every year to do that, right? Four weeks. Four weeks. And for us in our, in our house, we have to have traditions, we have to have things we do every year to retell the story of sin, of brokenness. That's why Jesse Tree is so awesome. You start with Adam and Eve and you go all the way to Christ yeah. every year. That's why. And if you can do the Jesse Tree, you're a superhero. Uh, even if you don't do every every day, all right? But can if you, you do a once a week Jesse Tree? You could. Okay. I mean, you hit the major points, right? Adam and Eve sin. God promises a savior, right? And, and Jesse Tree comes from the Old Testament. Right. It's what all we've been Old talking. Testament. Yeah. yeah. So it's the fulfillment of his, the prophecy. But the thing is, in the Old Testament, and this is. This is why I think it's so important, is that in the Old Testament, it's not like God is doing something completely brand new that no other human being can be aware of. So, for example, when God speaks to Abraham, it's not like a new humanity exists where in Babylon or somewhere far off, they have, they're just totally lost, they don't know what's going on. The thing is, Abraham has the same longings and desires as every other human being, right? right? He's experiencing the same world that every other human being is experiencing, and so as we tell these stories, it's not just to tell a story, but it's to tap into a human experience that every human being has with sin, with death, with brokenness, with ruptured relationships. Hmm. But the difference that God makes with Abraham and in Jesus Christ is that it's not just a story about what's wrong. It's a story about redemption, that there's, a, there's an answer to this, right? Yep. And that right. God is the answer, and he's sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have to tell this story to our kids. We have to tell it to ourselves. But we also have to tell it to the world around us during yeah. Advent. Yeah, It's a great evangelization potential because why? They're listening. Every, when, when do people go to church most? Uh, Christmas. Christmas, And right? Easter. 
and Easter. Yeah. So people are in the mood for God <laughs> right now yeah. more than other times a year, right? So yeah. there's a, there's a potential here. Yeah. There's an openness, mm-hmm. you know, to the gospel. You know, I call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> uh, and I was a CEO at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're, we're, and sometimes I find myself as a spiritual, uh, you know, spiritual poverty in a sense of like I'm. You know, Advent gives me a time to say, what am I really hungry for in my life? Yeah. Like, what, what is it that I'm, I'm really desiring? What is it that, where is it that I'm uh, malnourished in my life? Um, and can I pause long enough for those four weeks to really allow Jesus to show me that? Really allow. So the word Advent also, not means, also means coming, but waiting waiting which means like don't don't move too fast like dwell on the miracle of what's happening wait now you imagine mary waiting to give birth joseph waiting you know uh the world waiting for jesus to come um like that you know it's not like god did the miracle and the next day jesus was born right god could have done anything um but there was a period of waiting, of longing for the Savior to come, right? A period of waiting and longing to see what God was going to do. That's what we do in Advent. We wait. Well, and waiting increases love. No one wants to wait, though. No, they don't. I mean, we literally live in a world that does not want to wait, that hates waiting, right? And particularly, like, I can look up, you know, I can book, you know, a trip to Alaska cruise while we're talking on my phone. You know, just on my phone. I don't want to wait. I can order pizza right now and pick it up when we're done. Like literally, I just no one wants to wait. Like what? And here's the thing: is like in the spiritual life, there's so much power in waiting. Spiritual maturity comes not in getting, but in waiting, allowing yourself to really marinate in who Jesus is in your life. And it increases our love for the Lord. The thing is, we can love the Lord very little if we haven't experienced waiting on him. Because in waiting, literally what we're doing is we're submitting our will to his will. Right? Like that's literally what we mean by waiting is Mm -hmm. I would like something right now, but you want it later. So I'm going to let you be in charge and I'm going to wait. Right. What an act of love that is, literally because I'm submitting my will to his for example, I'd love for Jesus to come back today. I mean, there's so much sin and brokenness in the world and in the church. Come on. He's going to end it all when he comes, right? Come on. So, But he's not. So I have to wait. You do. You have to wait. And uh, I want things in my family to be fixed right now. There's some issues. I, I want them to be dealt with, right? Absolutely. But I have to wait, right? So this Advent is a time of waiting, absolutely, which increases our love for the Lord. And then when Christmas comes, we experience a certain joy. That's an anticipation of that joy when Christ does come again, or when we die and we meet Christ face to face. Again, we have to wait for that. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to wait. Just a commercial break. Just wait. This has been good. Paul and Adam talking art of living. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam, talking all things art of living. Great to be with you today, man. Yeah. I'm, you're getting me really excited about Advent today. Good. That was Fired my... Up. You know, I was driving in, I was like, how can I get Adam excited about Advent? Because he well, doesn't really get excited about anything. You did it. Let's do this. Give yeah. me that wreath. You do get excited about lunch, food. Yeah, I do get excited about A food. good beer. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Your family. Yeah. And now Advent. Man, such a full life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what do you get excited about? Um, I get excited. Um, let's see. I mean, what do I get excited about? Yeah. Um, I get excited uh, about t- 
time off. Oh. Relaxing, being with my family. Yeah. Good weather. You know, football, a good game on TV, um, a good joke. Yeah. I get excited about Advent. I think Advent's probably my favorite as well. <gasps> yeah, but I'm not going to tell anybody that. No, don't tell anyone. Yeah. So I was actually thinking about the job thing that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And like if I could have any job, I don't know if I would want to sail a ship, actually. I haven't really thought about that again. <laughs> Some would be like being stuck out Sounds at sea. Terrible. Maybe it's just my control issues. You know, it's like I don't want to fly a plane and I don't want to be stuck out at sea. Although I would rather captain a boat than captain a plane. Yeah. Because like the boat thing, like if it like I at the end of the day, like you have a chance to swim if everything goes awry. <laughs> like in a plane, it's like, yeah, you really have no chance. Maybe short trips on a boat? Short trips. across the Atlantic. A speedboat. Like, to Cuba. A speedboat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think living in a foreign country in a hut would be quite amazing. For a little while. Like, just sell everything. For a little while. Right. Yeah. But it would be. And guy calls some people to that. Yeah. You know. But you can't watch the Saints games out there. That's fine. I got my phone. I can get score updates. <laughs> you know, immediate access. Who how wants you, to wait? How are you going to charge your phone? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. The remote village. I'll pedal a bike, you know. Dane, is there some type of energy I can create? Kinetic energy? Did I make that up? That's good. That's a thing. I can't, yeah. Like, I can pedal a bike and create some, some electricity. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The, you got it all figured out. Yeah. All right, so anyway, we're going to do a unique six-pack of questions. Question. All right, so question number one is actually submitted by Dane today. <gasps> yep. So here's the question, and we can both answer it. Uh, but I'm going to ask you the question from Dane. Uh, what's the best thing to do Why you wait? Like sort of this tension, yeah. you know? Well, in my experience personally... I found that the best thing to do when I'm waiting for something is to take it as a time of formation. Hmm. Because the, when you're waiting, that's implying that God has something he's going to give you at some point. For example, let's say I'm waiting on a new job or a vocation or something like that. That means that when God finally gives it to me, it's time to get after it, right? So in this time of waiting, it should be a time of doing. The doing is formation. In other words, all right, so if I'm waiting on marriage, I need to be forming myself into a great husband. And then when it comes, I'll be ready. Um, studying, praying, all the things that make a Christian more developed and mature, I need to be doing those things. And uh, it feels like an eternity when I am waiting, but it actually is a very limited amount of time. Three years, four years, max, you know, some in some cases. And so if I take a, a, a good four years and form myself into the most mature and, and uh, godly man I could, I could be in those four years, then it'll pay off for the next 80. Yeah, which a lot of times people want to skip steps because it's like waiting just seems useless. But when you look back on your life and say, you know, that was a tough period, but I grew a lot. You know, I grew up a lot. I learned a lot. Um, you know, nothing goes, nothing is wasted. You know, somebody told me that one time when I was, in a period of waiting and, um, you know, I was meeting with a, you know, kind of spiritual mentor. He says in, in the, in the mind and in the economy of God, nothing's wasted. God doesn't waste anything. Like he uses everything, you know, to move you to, 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 you know, encourage you to make you holier, better. And I remember thinking, wow. So, so this period of suffering or useless time that I feel like I'm doing nothing, God's using it right? It's not wasted. And I think that a lot of times we think that that waiting is wasted. So no wasted waiting. There you go. Question number two, um, which so, was submitted by Dane, which was also submitted by Dane. Yeah. The top two questions. Here we go. So when do you know that waiting turns into action? Like how do you discern, okay, I've been waiting for something, waiting for something. Could this be it, God? And then you jump on it. Yeah, that's dude. That is like the spiritual struggle, but it's a great question. I think it particularly like um, it's a great question from Dane as a young adult, you know, um, I think young adults, a lot of times because they're in this period of like, you know, college and choosing careers and figuring out their vocation and, you know, marriage and, you know, so there, there are like some unanswered, like I don't wake up every day wondering if I'm going to be married or, 
if I'm going to be a dad, like that's already in place or wondering what my job is. So I think there's particular struggles in waiting for young adults that they face um, because there's a, a lot of unanswered questions, you know, and there is for all of us. But I think in discernment, there's a period of waiting and discernment, like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, and I'm going to wait as you prepare me. I think the waiting is God preparing us to hear, to hear what he wants, to to get a sense of and direction. But at the same time, waiting doesn't always translate into not doing, you know. It's like you said, like during the period of waiting, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to meet with a mentor. You know, I'm still going to go feed the homeless. I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to work on myself so that I can hear better. I can know better. And then I'm going to take some small actions to see if like those are open doors. Maybe I'll apply for jobs that are in line with what I'm praying. Maybe I ask someone out, you know, instead of just saying, well, you know, someone's just going to show up on my door and say, hey, will you marry me? It's like sometimes you have to ask the person out. You know, sometimes you have to take the steps of discernment why you wait to, quote unquote, put fillers out there to like knock a domino down. And if God doesn't want you to do it, he'll he'll he won't make the rest of the dominoes fall like, you know, like, but it's okay to push one down to say, you know, like, is this an open door for me to walk through? You know, so take some action steps, but not big enough to where you're like, I just skipped so many steps. Like, I just don't know what I did. Right. Small steps ahead. So you're moving forward and God will open and close doors as he sees fit. That makes sense. Yeah. Love it. All right. Question number three. Oh, you're just going to, you're right on the spot, man. Right on the spot. Yeah. All right. So let's say we haven't even thought about Advent yet and it's two days away. Which is usually me. And let's say we don't really do anything ever in the past, but this show has been so inspiring. I'm totally the wisdom inspired. of Paul George has inspired me. By, by our own words today. <laughs> so what do, what do you do? How do you actually do Advent? Well, you know, we use this word, word a lot, I think, on the show every now and then with talking about stuff, but being intentional. So Advent will pass up, you know, in four weeks, unless you're intentional about jumping into Advent. So be intentional about Advent, but not overly intentional about overdoing it. Because I think sometimes we could put way too much on our plate, and then we feel like failure. So choose one thing to do in Advent for your family, and one thing for your family, and one thing personally to do during Advent. So maybe you do, you know, a Jesse tree, or maybe prayed as a family day, or maybe you you know, uh, do a reflection as a family and do one thing personally. Maybe you go to, you know, church mass more. Maybe you, you know, you lock into your prayer life more. Maybe you do some type of journal reflection or so, but keep it simple, but be intentional. So that's what I would say. And I think that's what I, you know, I'm, I think I'm speaking to myself about Advent because I, here, here's what happens for all of us. I walked in, you know, a store before Thanksgiving and Christmas trees are already up. So the mindset is, I want to celebrate Christmas, right? I'm buying gifts, I'm doing all that. And, and I get it, like we get, we, Christmas is coming. So there is some excitement about that. But Christmas does not mean that we just throw Advent aside. But if we're not intentional, it'll pass up. And before we know it, it's Christmas morning and we're like, ah, ah, nah. <laughs> It's is gone. That, is that what you say Christmas morning? Sometimes ah! sometimes Christmas morning, I'm like, ah, don't wake me up this early. Even as my kids get older, they wake us up so early. I'm like, dude, just let me sleep in. It's Christmas morning. The, the gifts aren't, they're not going to grow legs and run out of the house. They're literally going to stay right where they are. But that's the excitement, you know. It is. So anyway, that, that was, that's what I would say. Right on. All right. Um. Question number four, since you're so amped, and literally you said that Advent is your favorite season. Yeah, I get fired up. You get fired up. But you've already bought your tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you're not lighting it till December 13th, 13th yeah. which is the Feast of St. Lucy. So that's already intentionality about when you're going to light this tree. Fake tree, real tree? Real. Real tree, okay. And then you're having a baby. Yes. Which could more like highlight the... F- the the excitement of advent because you're really going to be holding an infant just like you know christ came into the world so you're you're having advent come to you oh yeah okay so you have a lot of things going on seven kids a baby coming and what are maybe some actual practical things that people could do that they might not know what do i do during advent 
you know, I've never thought about doing anything in Advent because it is, in a sense, the church would say a mini Lent. Yeah, you know, a, a time of really reflection and. Well, if we if our family's not used to doing anything ritualistic, I would hesitate to suggest anything decorative because you might miss it. So, for example, Advent wreaths are awesome, but if they're done as a ritual, if they're not, it's just decoration. Like I remember hearing when I was teaching in high school, this one I was teaching theology, and this one girl raised her hand like, "Actually, what we do is we get an Advent wreath, and if we have guests coming over, our mom makes us light it for a few hours before they get there, so it seems like we've been praying the whole time." <laughs> so, it's all about perception. It's like, well, I but the thing that. the thing about ritual is in the in in God's mindset, celebrating ritual makes people family. What do I mean by that? Well, do you remember when Christ himself um, was journeying to Jerusalem, why he was there? He was there for the Feast of Passover, right? And Jews from all over the world were there to celebrate it, and they prepared in the upper room the night before the Passover meal, and they celebrated it together. The thing is, when you went on pilgrimage, when you celebrated ritual together, it literally made you family together with these people. Huh. Through faith, right? So not through blood necessarily, but by sharing a ritual celebration, you you were brothers and sisters with the people. And so when you went on pilgrimage with people, it was a great experience. It wasn't just like, oh, we happen to be together, but the very act brought you together as family. This is the power of ritual in our families is that we can use little things to literally come together and be made family in the Lord. So even more than our blood relationship within the family, we can become brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's what I would suggest. Do it. Suggest it. Find one ritual, whether it's lighting an Advent wreath, but something you could stick to daily or mostly daily where y'all can come together and be faithful to it by through the end of Advent. All right? So if it's lighting candles or saying prayers, do it through the end of Advent together. And watch how that brings you together as a family, but mm. also increases your, your longing for, for Christ at Christmas. Um, and I would... Maybe start here. Light the candle. Ask everyone around the around the family, what are you waiting for for Christ? Like, what do you need from Christ this Christmas? I like that. Simple question. What are you waiting on? And then say a prayer and done. It, you can do it in five minutes. Keep it simple. But do it every day. I like that. And kids love lighting stuff, and then they love <laughs> they fighting love stuff. over who's going to light stuff. <laughs> right. That's what's even better. But you got. We have to remember as Christians that there's a there's a unity that Christ offers us, that blood, it, it's greater than blood, it's greater than our family relationships, it's built on top of it, it's, yep. it's called the church. And so we have to nurture that unity in our family if Absolutely. we want to see growth. Yep. And when you have common experiences together, you grow together, and you get to know each other. Like a lot of times yeah. when someone's dating seriously and they're discerning marriage, I tell the couple, I'm like, y'all go on a trip together. Like get in a car and drive a long distance, you'll find out a lot about each other. For better or worse, for better, yeah. you'll, but you'll create this experience that might be really good and it might not. But you're gonna, you're gonna figure some things out. It's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Question number five. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the Old Testament and the New Testament, and for a lot of us, we're really intimidated by Scripture. Yeah. Right. And so when we mention names, we might find them vaguely familiar or something. So what would you suggest if? That's us this Advent, kind of preparing for Christmas. If we just feel like Scripture is this foreign thing to us, so we don't have a great relationship with it, how can we introduce Scripture into our lives in a more healthy way? There's no greater season to be introduced to Scripture than Advent, because I think the best place to start in Scripture is by reading the gospel stories, and particularly um, the birth story, you know, like the story of Christ coming into the world, because it's a story that uh, it's, it's... amazing it's miraculous but we can all understand a family having a baby and 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 so it's not like it's this like foreign thing it's like really real it's human and so start with you know the gospel of Matthew or or Mark and 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 read the first couple of chapters like over the course of Advent and reflect and what will end up happening is that you'll start really getting lost in the story of Christ and really wanting to know more and so just continue to read that gospel. And so it's beauty, beautiful. You know, so I always suggest people to read the gospels first, particularly before you read the letters and particularly before you read the Old Testament. Because you, you'll get lost in the Old Testament, but we're lucky to be able to read the gospels now in light of the new old. So you can go back and read the old and then it begins to make sense. Love it. Yeah. 
All right, last question. Last question. Question number six. Okay, um, best, best dessert. <laughs> best dessert. All right, honestly, best dessert that you can suggest to prepare for as you wait for Christmas. <laughs> well, I would suggest, and this just sounds kind of corny, but man, my kids love it, but if you can make desserts that have some kind of religious meaning in them. Oh, it's a game changer like for those kids. Like a king cake. Yeah, like a king cake. Um, for example, we make these uh, gingerbread cookies, you know, like people, you know, for All Saints Day. Yeah, they are. And then we decorate them as different saints. My kids love it. That's crazy. I've and then heard it, of that. It just, yeah. So for Christmas, I mean, you can get creative. Like, uh, I don't know, you got me thinking. Well, as far as actual food item, chocolate mousse, everyone knows is the best dessert. Okay, so someone at Thanksgiving did this to us. They... Have you ever had the dessert Bananas Foster? Yes. Okay, so Bananas Foster is like, it's like, I don't know, like so almost like fried bananas, but they're not like battered in like alcohol, rum, mm. okay, and brown sugar, and then it lights on fire. Okay, wow. and then you put that on top of ice cream, Bananas Foster. It's, yeah. it's probably one of my favorite desserts. Oof. Anyway, they did a Bananas Foster pie. Made you happy? Yeah, and I don't really eat desserts much. <laughs> so make that for Christmas, but think about it over an Advent. Prepare for it. It'll make you happy. It'll make you happy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of happy, uh, you can get the book, Rethink Happiness. It's yeah, all over. It. It's a great Christmas gift. It is a good Christmas gift, A lot gift, of people actually. have been reading the book, and I've been getting feedback, which has kind of been nice just yeah. to know like what is the impact that the book's making. Mm -hmm. um, so you can get it on Amazon uh, probably... Uh, get as many copies as you want. Um, yeah, and I mean, in all seriousness, it, it really is effective. Again, people are more open to God around this mm -hmm. time of year, and so if you yep. if you give a book, rethink happiness or something else, and you and you say, look, why don't you read it? I'm reading it too. We'll get together uh, in about a month and let's talk about it. Yep, yep. Uh, you can go to the website uh, discovertheartofliving.com. You can find the show, iTunes, Google Play, all those um, interesting places on the interwebs. Uh, you can share the show, support it, and uh, we sh surely, surely, surely appreciate you listening and uh, being part of the show, The Art of Living, Paul and Adam. So we'll be back next week. We'll keep talking. Happy Advent. God Happy bless. New Year. And thanks to Dane. Boom. Thanks, Dane.